Everything F1, driven by fans for the fans. EF1 This is the Everything F1 podcast. Today we're reviewing the Mexican Grand Prix. We're also previewing the Brazilian Grand Prix with Laura Winter, the broadcast journalist. She's also going to give us an insight into her career uh, in our interview. So we've got a lot to get into, so stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the Everything F1 podcast with me, James Tiller. Alongside me today from the Everything F1 team, we've got Coops. Hi, Coops. How are you? Hello. I'm great. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you very much for asking. Um, we've also got Sean. Hi, Sean. How are you? Hello there. Nice to see all your smiling faces this evening. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, and a newbie to the podcast, uh, a newbie to the team for the Everything F1. Uh, you'll be hearing from her uh, again, hopefully quite quite regularly on the podcast. It's Cara. Hi, Cara. How are you? Hello, James. I'm very well, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Good, good. Uh, can you kind of give us a, a bit of brief about who you are and, and what, it is that, what it is you do uh, and your interest in this sport, your teams that you support and all those sorts of things? So I'm currently studying broadcast journalism. I'd love to get into sports media. F1 would be a, a, a big dream. Mm-hmm. Um, I love McLaren. I mean, how can you not love Lando Norris and Danny Rick? Um, and obviously British, so as well, Lewis Hamilton and George Russell. Um, I've really sort of, if I'm being honest, got into the sport properly this year. Sort of the last few years, I've always sort of had it on in the background. But I feel like this year with the championship between Lewis and Max, it's been hard to ignore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was one of those, you know, drive to survive as well. And I think, you know, people obviously love or hate on drive to survive, but it really makes you understand the sport and the politics and the joy of it. And, you know, you, you can't knock that. Perfect. Gives our listeners some background information about who you are and, and the, the, the fact that they're going to hear you as we go into the future. So we are Everything F1. We are on all social media platforms. We're at the handle at Join EF1 on Facebook and Twitter currently, uh, and also at the handle uh, Everything F1 underscore on Instagram. We're also on YouTube. You can find us on our website, www.everythingf1.com. Because you're listening to this podcast, we'd love you to hit the subscribe button and get all of our latest podcasts in your earlobes as soon as they drop. Okay, without further ado, we are going to review the Mexican Grand Prix. So, Cara, what's your three-line review of the Mexican Grand Prix? Okay, Bottas flies too close to the sun. A little oh. Icarus Greek tragedy reference there. Um, <laughs> Ferrari are back where they should be, you know, back mm-hmm. at the top. Um, and Max shows his authority. Boom. Sean, three lines from you. Uh, Max's magic Mexico masterclass. I'm just gonna leave it. I'm just gonna leave it at that. <laughs> okay, Coops. Max is almost there. Bottas thrown under the bus, and Ricardo is getting better. Okay, and I'm gonna say the Red Bull is dominant. Mercedes have got everything to do. Ferrari, yeah, it's good to see them back at the top. Uh, I'm, I'm copying Cara there because she pretty much t- took the words out of my mouth. Yeah, it, it was it, it was an interesting race. 
it wasn't probably the most exciting race uh, from start to finish. Would you agree, Coops? Yes. I mean, it wasn't quite France 2019 level. Was it 2019? I try and get rid of France from my memory, but it keeps popping back in. Uh, like a horror show. Yes, it was the year that the highlights showed everyone's pit stop from start to finish. Uh, (laughs) It just shows you how good the highlights showed were. Anyway, uh, so yes, we had the first lap, cars bounced around, couple of retirements, the starting disappeared, and then it was then it was there was just enough whether Perez was going to get past Hamilton that kept it just about interesting. Otherwise, not too much happened. Vettel quietly got from the back of the grid up to seventh, I think he finished. Uh, Gasly, again, he, he pulled a, a, a Leclerc. This this weekend, he done what Leclerc did at the US Grand Prix. He had a brilliant race, but you've never seen him. Mm. you only ever seen him if it was accidental, you know, just passing. So, yeah, it wasn't a classic. Uh, I think there was more entertainment the podium and celebrations and Sergio <laughs> Perez's dad. I mean, that man's a legend <laughs> in the actual race itself. Uh, so. Yeah, it was uh, it was a dominating weekend from the Red Bull team. Obviously, Max Verstappen, that car... Well, I'm not going to take it away from Max. He, he was dominant as well. Um, but that car was just so powerful. Even Lewis Hamilton himself over the team radio said... He's quick. <laughs> Do you think he's going to re- regret that? Is that going to be memed all over the internet at some point soon? <laughs> Probably. Just about everything he says gets memed. Yeah. Something to do with tyres, something to do with him. Yeah, well, with it. Sean, you're a, a bit of a, a Red Bull fan or a Max Verstappen fan. Uh, was it was it a great race to watch for you? No, it was. I'm, I'm not going to like let my Max Verstappen, I want him to... I'm not really a fan of his. I just don't want Lewis to win the championship. It wasn't a great <laughs> race. His, his overtake was brilliant. I'll Although, let's be fair, Bottas left him. You have to leave a car's width. He left him half the track. He could have been a bit more aggressive there. But it was still a very gutsy move. And uh, like p- p- people were saying that like Max maybe had an inkling that, r- that Merck maybe had a little bit of lack of confidence on their brakes. Um, and was saying, that, you know, I can brake later than them. I know I can brake later than them. They can't brake where I can. So if I can get alongside them off the start, I beat them both. And he did exactly that. Mm. So from from that point of view, I think like to say it was a good race from start to finish. No, the start and the finish were pretty good, but the sixty laps in between were really dull. Um, really, really dull. And the fact that they were focusing on Bottas chasing Ricardo, I think they watched that for a solid fifteen laps or something like that <laughs> in the middle. Nothing else was shown. Not the front, not the back, nowhere else. I didn't see. I didn't see Pierre Gasly on the screen once. Didn't see, oh, the only time I saw the Ferraris was when they were flopping around with team orders. But no, it wasn't, it wasn't a classic, although good result for Max. Even watching the, the competition between Ricardo and Bottas wasn't too exciting because Bottas couldn't really get very near uh, Ricardo at all. No, as much as you know, we, we, we've kind of touched on that he's he's upped his game a bit since, uh, since signing the Alpha contract. He has in terms of qualifying, and if he qualifies well and gets out in front, that's it, he's gone. But he's always seemed to struggle, and Lewis struggles as well, following other people. That Mer- Mercedes, ever since these new wide cars have been introduced, that Mercedes cannot follow other cars. It really struggles. But Lewis still yeah. manages to get the overtakes done, and that has always been kind of the difference between a very good driver and a seven-time world champion, you know? And I, th- I I just feel like, I know Lewis has been stuck behind the McLarens a few times this year, but I just feel like Lewis would have got that move done. 
at some point. He just, Bottas just didn't quite push hard enough. Lewis would have got that car back into the points. So not a great showing by Bottas. Not his fault. Not his fault that he was back there. Definitely his fault that he got left back there is how I'll, how I'll leave that one. Uh, Lewis Hamilton and Toto Wolff have kind of thrown him under the bus saying he left the door wide open, didn't kind of defend uh, as much as he should have. Do you, do you agree with what they're saying in that sense? Or was that Red Bull just so dominant anyway, He would have got past, they would have got past maybe three, four corners afterwards anyway? <clears throat> I think it's really unfair on Toto to be throwing him under the bus. But at the end of the day, he still needs Valtteri to win him this championship. He's not going to win that that eighth championship with just Lewis. He just won't. Sergio's there now. So throwing Valtteri on the bus is not the way to do it. And especially like Lewis wants to win the championship. And it, it'll come time now where Bottas will be the one who decides the championship. I could just see that happening. Bottas will get out in front for the next four races and he'll be the one, one taking the points off Lewis, not Max. And Toto will be on the... And it'll be Valtteri, it's James, get out of the way. And he'll be like, James, it's Valtteri, you threw me under the bus. And th- that'll, be, that'll be how it shows off. So, no, I don't think they were right to. I think it was very unfair of them. Um, in fairness to him, I think the one thing they did right was use him to steal the, the, the fastest lap point. That was clever it keeps them ahead um it keeps them that one point ahead in the championship but uh no really unfair on on toto and and lewis i think it was really unprofessional just from the two of them but you don't like to see that and christian horner did the same thing with you because you know this year or did this weekend but at least he's in a different team uh to do it to, to do it to your own driver it's technically in a different team to do it to your own driver and your own teammate is uh, that that's that that's poor form. I expect a lot more from Lewis and especially Toto. Cara, have you got anything to add about the, uh, the the race for the front two? I think it's so telling that you know Mercedes are fighting for every point. Mm. You know they're getting in to get that fastest lap, and it is interesting because I don't agree with the tone of what Toto said, and I completely don't think Bottas should be thrown under the bus. But when you watched that start, he did give Max room because he was defending from Lewis. You know because Lewis is his competitor, um, and you completely need him on side to win the championship. As I know, Sean's just eloquated lovely, but yeah, I, I think it's it was a, a great race at the start, and I really. Norris was, you know, going up through the ranks as well. I had some yeses, you know, as you didn't get to see on the telly, but as in (laughs) his car was shown, but you got to see him going up, some greens going past. And and that was good to see because, you know, overtaking's so hard in those conditions. And it actually made me think I've been reading this week about the cars for next year and it should you know, that complete change in the bodywork, the overhaul that they're going to undertake should make circuits like Mexico so much more exciting Mm. because the cars can get so much closer together. Those overtakes are going to be possible. Whereas you almost, it makes qualifying so, so important and it may, hopefully in the future, it'll make the race so much more exciting because, you know, we won't have this feel spread with all the, the cooling issues and whatnot. It looked at one point at the weekend that uh, Mercedes had kind of ripped up the the rule book for uh, for, for Mexican Grand Prix because yeah, obviously the Mexican Grand Prix doesn't necessarily suit uh, the Mercedes car. But at qualifying, there was a Valtteri Bottas and a Lewis Hamilton one too. Uh, we were all baffled as as to how that happened, really. Um, but obviously, on the race day, it kind of fell away. Um, what, is there anything that you want to add uh, about that, Coops? No, I think Mercedes getting one two wasn't at the time. You were all like, "What? How do you, mm. what?" But it, clearly, looking at the pace of them in the race, that was just a mistake. They just got it wrong in the final, the final runs, and you know they they tripped over themselves. 
everyone was talking about Sonoda and the fact that Sonoda went off track. Now, Sonoda went off track to clear to make it clear for the Red Bulls. Nobody's talking about the fact Perez just followed him. I mean, what did he think it was? A shortcut? I mean, he just, just went with him. Uh, <laughs> but it was a bit, that was a bit random. You're like, you know, Sonoda's doing exactly what he was supposed to do, getting his way out of the way as he could without tripping the yellow flags. And then Perez went, oh, hi, where we go? And then they uh, they all blamed him for it. I was like, mm. and then uh, yeah, they got as Horner eloquently put it. It was Sonoda's. Like, oh, here you go, Horner. Come on, stop it. <laughs> you know, Horner can, Horner's had a few moments where you're like, you're gonna shut up. And then total this season, we're going a wee bit back to the kind of the Bottas situation. And I think uh, it kind of started with around about the, you know, I can never get this this track right. But it was when Russell and Bottas crashed into each other. Emily. Emily. Yeah. You know, Toto kind of basically insinuated that George Russell, because he's a Mercedes driver, shouldn't really drive against a Mercedes as hard as he did and said he was going to send him to the Clio Cup and things like that. And you were a bit kind of like, mate, chill, take it easy. And he's kind of got a wee bit, just a wee bit narky with a couple of things. A lot of it's towards Bottas. So, yeah, he needs to kind of watch himself. Well, clearly, there's no love loss. Clearly, they've had some words back there. Uh, I don't know if Bottas has stole his coffee or... You know, his porridge. You know, totally put something in his porridge or something, you know, because, you know, Bottas likes his coffee. So there's been a wee bit of banter back there. And he's just, maybe he's just not doing what he wanted him to do this season. I don't know. Maybe he'll do that to Hamilton when Hamilton decides he wants to retire and he's not his favourite plaything anymore. I don't know. Yeah, it did, it did raise the eyebrows, the qualifying. It was not exactly what it was expected. But again, as you've kind of hinted at there, the race kind of showed the true pace of the cars. Uh, I think as well, from what you said earlier, I don't think the Mercedes cars were really going to be able to hold back the Red Bulls. That pace, the pace they had, that long straight, DRS, Verstappen was going to get a lot closer to Hamilton as Perez managed to do because he had a lot more. He would have had a lot more race to do it. They would have got past one way or another. Mm. Uh, I think it's just that it just was too superior. Uh, yeah, so we had we had a Max Verstappen win, a Lewis Hamilton came second, and then Sergio Perez came third. It was pretty much, I think I think somebody predicted that last week in the last week's pod. It happened as we thought it would between the two top teams. Um, let's move down the grid then and talk about the Ferrari and McLaren competition because Ferrari have taken the lead off of McLaren because of how, how well and how consistent they're being. Sean, can you digest Ferrari's race uh, against McLaren this weekend? I thought Ferrari did everything right this weekend. I'm a little bit surprised that the track suited them, although that final sector, they've all, they've been good all season in those really fiddly sectors and that stadium sector is nothing if not the fiddliest sector in Formula 1. Um mm. And that's why Charles was on pole in Monaco and Baku. It's the exact same kind of track style. But I was equally surprised by they they just had pace in the on the straights as well. That that the lower altitude just seemed to and lower air pressure just seems to help that Ferrari engine. Sure, even Kimi Raikkonen was in the points in an Alpha. I think Ferrari played everything right this weekend. I think McLaren. I don't think they had a choice but to change uh, Lando's engine. Uh, I think that was pre pre planned. Certainly was like it wasn't a, like some accident that happened. They was talk from the start of the weekend that he was going to be taking that penalty. So before yeah. the weekend, at least they had planned it. 
I think with the intention that, you know, this is a big, long straight with a beautiful fresh Mercedes engine, he's just going to breeze back up into the points. And that wasn't the case. And he not he's not the only one. Everyone seemed to struggle with overtaking. But he did manage to get back into the point. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, the, the big problem was, was, was Danny, unfortunately, because... As we said a few times, like he, he's definitely back on form. They've definitely fixed something in that brake pedal that he seems comfortable with. I was watching the, the replays back after the race and just the, the, the jerking he was doing, I think trying to avoid the Mercedes and Red Bulls inside him, weaving in and out of each other. Um, I think he just got in and out of the dirty air one too many times. I think it was Lewis in front of him. Um, he got in and out of the dirty air just one too many times and slammed on the brakes and the, just the outside wheel had no... Uh, the, the, just the balance of the car was completely off and he was totally and he was on the dirty side of the track and there was talk mm. all weekend of just how how dirty the dirty side of the track is there's no there, there's no real wind there there's no support races it hasn't been raced on in two years and um, it's a really really dirty track so it was the tiniest of touches really the tiniest of touches it could have he could have got away with it like if it happened again next week he'd probably get away with it you know it was one mm. of those that if it happened to Mr. Lucky Lewis Hamilton, he'd have got away with it, you know? The luck just wasn't on... <laughs> Nothing against Lewis. We always say he puts himself in the position to get the luck. Uh, but you just know he'd have got away with that, and Danny didn't. And unfortunately <clears throat> for McLaren, this was a weekend the Ferrari were on it. Um, even to the point that like the two drivers, to, the, to their credit, were, were on it with each other. They were playing the team game through and through. They must have been told that, you know, McLaren are out of contention. Both of you put your foot down. Try catch <clears throat> Pierre. Um, I think they were nowhere near at the end they were a good 20 seconds off him at the end um, but they were trying everything they were swapping positions under team orders for who was faster to try put that pressure on Gasly and then swapping back so it's not often we could say I think Ferrari's strategy was on point this weekend but Ferrari's strategy was on point this weekend and they really capitalise on a miserable weekend for McLaren and it hurts me in my orange heart to say that and, and now they're 13 and a half points clear uh, of difference. McLaren. So it's a massive difference. Yeah. Uh, the momentum is with them going into Brazil. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's, well, as as not so secret McLaren fans, I'm sure we're all, we've all got our fingers crossed that McLaren can do something uh, to take it back uh, yeah. in the coming races. Cara, who do, you want, who do you want to speak about then that we haven't spoken about already? I maybe wanted to touch on Sebastian Vettel a little bit because before the race, I think, was it Jensen Button he did an interview with and he sort of spoke about how he's not really competitive anymore. And, you know, I thought, oh, that's not really a great mindset to have. But then it sort of seemed to pay off in this instance because I sometimes think about, you know, these championship winners, you know, Alonso Vettel. What's it like to be in those mid-range cars and to not be in a vehicle that can put them at the top anymore? And, you know, a lot of frustration. So maybe by letting go of that, I mean, like, you know what, whatever will be, will be. have fun with it almost. That sort of maybe paid off this weekend and he's been able to get a lot more out of the car. He has, he has. I agree. He finished seventh. Ah, so yeah, yeah. seventh is a good finish. Uh, you know, scoring decent points. Um, yeah, anything to add about the, maybe his teammate? Obviously, he ha- his teammate had a, a bit of a, a nightmare weekend. Coops. Yes, the most exciting thing he did was Bennett in the first part of qualifying. So <laughs> I don't think he'd done much else. Which brought out the most interesting part of the weekend, where the race director was out. In a barrier. Now, I don't think that's part of his job description. Hey, he was just checking it. Just checking it. I think. I think if he's a if he's getting to, if Mercedes getting to do with, I think he should be going back and checking his emails because <laughs> uh, they've probably got a couple of diagrams that they wanted to send to him. Or something. <laughs> but 
No, I mean, the unfortunate thing for Vettel was he very much like Gasly. They had great races, but you never saw them. Mm. Because they were just, it was brilliantly anonymous. They just got on with it. Uh, unless you were up at the front, Perez or Ricardo and Bottas, and then for a few laps, the Ferraris, you didn't get anything, really, from them. Uh, so, no, he started down the grid, I think. I, he was supposed to start at the back, but a lot of people took engine penalties, so I don't know exactly where he started. They're talking routines somewhere. All, all, all to say about that is he started behind Mazepin, and he finished seventh. So, that's a good result for him, really. Sean. I think Pierre Gasly has to get the a, a big shout out. All, all weekend he he was he was just on it. Obviously, you know, um, you know, fifth in FP one, uh, sixth in FP two, eighth in FP three, and then obviously most importantly fifth in qualifying, fourth in the race. Now I think uh, AlphaTauri did did their their planning right. They did the toe pretty well in qualifying, and I think both of them got a good benefit out of that actually because Yuki was up in in Q three. But uh, Pierre Gasly, what a, what a what a brilliant driver. He's we we I think we kind of touched on this last week. I think I think people are maybe being a bit too unfair on Yuki and not giving Pierre enough plaudits by comparison. Um, I think this mm-hmm. weekend was a perfect example of that. Yuki was a total passenger. Him like everything that happened to him this week was categorically not his fault. Christian Horner was way out of line, blaming him for for Red Bulls for Perez's screw up. But he was never going to blame Perez at his home Grand Prix. <laughs> but uh, I, I thought Yuki was. Was, was exactly where he needed to be. He would have probably pretty comfortably scored points, really finished in 8th or ninth, and t- taken a couple of points off, off Alpha or Alpine. Um, but it is just that Pierre Gasly is a man on a mission. He wants that top-tier seat again. He knows that Perez is not going to be in that rebel forever. Um, he has another season in him, and then I think he'll bow out with, a, with one more victory. Maybe he'll get a win in Mexico next year. Um, and then that's open doors. Fernando Alonso only has one more year. I think if the Alpine isn't quite where he wants it to be, he'll bow out again. And then, you know, Al- Alpine could uh, could look to to create a French super team again. That'd be quite exciting. I think Gasly and Ocon would be good teammates. But, I mean, he early early doors, Lando was like my shoe-in for driver of the season. But as, as we get to the tail end now, I'm like... It's Pierre Gasly for me. He, he's he's like his recent results have been incredible. I think he's only been outside the top six once in the last six races or something like that. His his form is just spectacular. He was massively outperforming that car. I think he, he he was my driver of the day, even though we didn't see him. I just know he was driving, therefore he was driver of the day. <laughs> <laughs> he was there. Do you think Christian Horner would ever take Gasly back though? I feel like he's so stubborn. Yeah. yeah. And I think, oh, this French super team might be the answer. That that's that's a really good question. And I think I think taking him back would be Christian Horner admitting that he was wrong in the second season in Red mm-hmm. Bull is a little bit cursed. So yeah, maybe not. But again, like he's won a race, he's got two other podiums on top of that. Um he has done as much before Perez won uh Baku, which he was gifted by Max's crash, he had done as much in a lower team in the sister car as Perez had in the senior car so he deserves it but whether he get it or not yeah I, I don't think Christian Horner would uh, shoot himself in the face like that I just don't think he'll go because I don't think Gasly will want to go back there's that too yeah, yeah I think I think uh, at the end of the race Jensen Button quite, when they were talking about Gasly and how good a race he had he just went no and he was quite categoric he went no Red Bull's done for Gasly and this is the driver he's looking at and even when there were conversations about the second seat, 
when they mention Gasly, I think Horner said the reason that he's not mentioned in the seat, Gasly, you know, he knows why. So I don't think, I think there was a clash of personalities with mm. the way Gasly liked to work to the way the Red Bull worked. And I think it kind of, they locked horns a wee bit, mm. not just the way that it, the way that it transferred to the track and how he drove, drove on the track, it was just, I just don't think they were a good fit. I just, I think they'll do maybe a year. The problem we have with Gasly is you could end up in a kind of Alonso situation, but I think his next move is the most important of his career. Mm-hmm. If he gets that wrong outside of Alfa Tauri, he'll get swallowed up because you've got Piastri coming through. You've got, there's not going to be a lot of seats in the next few years because the grid is very young. Mm-hmm. Once Alonso goes, and we know Raikkonen's going, and you know Hamilton's only got a couple of years left, Vettel's only got a couple of years left. A lot of these guys will get wrapped up for three, four years. He needs to find a team to get his three, four-year contract. And to be to be honest, the the only team that looks likely would probably be Alpine mm-hmm. if they commit long term to the, the grid. Now, unless you can find somewhere to go, and then Porsche come in in twenty twenty-five and Audi, which looked like they could be doing it for the next engine regulations, which looks pretty much like that's going to happen. Mm. Eventually then, but it might be too late for that. Well, let's talk about the Mexico uh, atmosphere. I can't really think about many teams and drivers to speak about because it was all pretty uh, processional. Uh, The atmosphere uh, and the, you know, the the, the crowd were amazing. Uh, Cara, uh, you obviously would have seen all that going on on your TV. uh, And as uh, everyone, uh, as Coop suggested, Perez's dad was a bit of a star (laughs) of the show as well. Oh, Perez's dad, what a legend. I just want to talk about, you know, um, when they Max came up with the Red Bull like through the ground. Yeah. And I was like, if Hamilton did that, he would get so much stick. And if Perez <laughs> did that, it would be like, oh, he's in Mexico. I just thought it was such like a, I suppose cringe is the wrong word. I think he just about got away with it. But I suppose maybe shows the the Mexican attitude like yeah come on we're gonna raise him up <laughs> with his car just like leaning on it looking really cool um yeah I thought that was brilliant and oh you know it's one of those Grand Prix that you just love to go to I'd love to do all the, uh, well I'd love to go to any Grand Prix go to all the Americas the the stadium was what 140,000 fans on the Sunday. I can't remember what it was all weekend, but the atmosphere must have just been incredible. Mm. And Norris was talking about, you know, people say they can hear the fans when they go past and you can't really, but their presence must be there and you must be able to feel that. And at the end, I know it wasn't the most exciting race, but at the end when Perez was getting so close, you could feel, oh, the fans were so behind him and that, yeah, amazing. Mm. We needed an extra few laps, maybe with, with a lot less traffic, and maybe Perez could have done something about that. But uh, unfortunately, it just was not meant to be. But you know, we've had our first Mexican on the you know on the on the podium of a Mexican Grand Prix, so that's a win for them, I'm, I'm guessing, really. And I think Perez was probably alluding to earlier in the week, saying that he would probably let Max through anyway, um, just to get the moral victory, but the, uh, the the victory for Max and the points uh, for the championship. No. I just wanted to mention the Alpine's front suspension. I don't know which driver it was, but he took out Sonoda with one wheel and took out uh, Schumacher with the other wheel and his car was absolutely fine. I mean, I don't know who built it, but I was expecting... That was Alonso, was it Alonso? Yeah, I think it was Alonso. Alonso? Yeah. Yeah, He didn't even lose a wing. It's only Alonso that can get away with that. They've just like reinforced it. It's like a tank, I reckon. 
Yeah, it's just it's the it's the most we've seen in the Alpines the whole race, mind you. But it was once I seen the replays and realised it was him, I was like, oh, okay. That's kind of what I meant with uh, Ricardo and Bottas. Like, there's such a tiny tap, and both of them lost out the yeah. race from it. Fernando was walloped like a tank on both sides and just carried on <laughs> and finished ninth yeah. and was holding off Norris for most of the race. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good point. But fair play to, to Alpi. Their car is a bit of a tank anyway, though. The size of it, the big bulgy, yeah, the super brain on it. Yeah, that's always a worry when a team comes up to practice, practice, and then you see they're the only car with this thing, and you're like, either you're a genius, or you've got it really wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm going to read out the full results so everyone's aware of where, where their favourite driver finished uh, and teams, of course. So Max Verstappen was first, Lewis Hamilton was second, Sergio Perez was a third. We had Pierre Gasly in fourth, Charles Leclerc in fifth, Carlos Sainz in sixth, Sebastian Vettel in seventh, eighth was Kimi Raikkonen, ninth was Fernando Alonso, and tenth, rounding out the points, was Lando Norris. The last ten... Uh, Non-point scorers was Antonio Giovinazzi in 11th, 12th was Daniel Ricciardo, Esteban Ocon was 13th, Lance Stroll 14th, Valtteri Bottas was a measly 15th, uh, and George Russell was just behind him uh, in 16th, with Nicholas Latifi in 17th, Nikita Mazepan in 18th, and the non-finishers was Mick Schumacher and Yuki Tsunoda. It was an interesting kind of start and finish. The rest of the race was pretty processional. Was it enjoyable? Start and finish. Start and finish. I think the problem is we've been spoiled this season. Yeah, that's I true. can't remember the last time we actually sat and said that about a race. Even a race that didn't have a lot of accidents. Like we had the, the race at Sochi where we had rain and we had nobody crash out. Mm. You know, and even at Kota, there wasn't a lot of passing after the first few laps, but it was a very clear strategy battle. We all knew that there was a strategy and who was going to break first was going to do this. So it's, I think the only other race that anyone could kind of say was particularly boring was Spain, because I can't actually remember what happened in Spain. But then that tends to happen at that track. So yeah, I think we've just been spoiled this season. We haven't been going on and the way everything was working, we're bound to have it. It's a shame it had to happen in Mexico. We've said this a couple of times, though. This this is a season where France was probably the race of the season, so <laughs> we can't have everything. <laughs> France, 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 and Sochi. France I mean, and Sochi, what? yeah, exactly. Well. <laughs> Okay, well, that's a review of the Mexican Grand Prix. I'm sorry that we couldn't really go into great detail. It's just because there wasn't really that much to talk about. But the the championship has certainly uh, gone to Max's side. He's certainly in the position to uh, to kind of dominate the rest of the year, I think. But you never know. This year has thrown up some hurdles and some uh, some excitement else, elsewhere. So we're looking forward to it. Now we're going to preview the Brazilian Grand Prix and we're going to have a guest come along and do that with us. We've got Laura Winter, who's a broadcast journalist and she's going to give us her insight into Brazil, what she's expecting, and then we're going to interview her too. We'll see you on the other side. Okay, so it's time to welcome Laura Winter to the podcast. Hi, Laura, how are you? Hello, I'm really well, thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. You're very welcome. No, thank you very much for coming along and chatting to us today. For our fans that might not know who you are, could you kind of give us a brief outline of who you are, what you do, uh, and why it is you'd like us to talk to you today? I'm Laura. Uh, I am a sports broadcaster. Um, So basically, when people ask me to break that down, I just say that I 
chat a lot of <laughs> rubbish about sport um, on television and get paid for it and feel like I'm the luckiest girl in the world because it's one of the best jobs I think ever um, for me. And I, I seem to have over the years um, specialized into cycling, rugby and F1. Um, and I guess that's why you guys want to talk to me. Um, I've spent quite a lot of the season, again, fortunately, out at some of the races. Um, and it's just a never-ending privilege that my first proper season within F1 mm-hmm. is this season, uh, the way it is transpiring, the battles we're seeing. No, the battles we're seeing, not just at the front, obviously, between Mercedes and Red Bull, but the battle for third in the Constructors' Championship. And I think... Alpha Terry and Alpine are now obviously equal on points as well. Like it's just battles all over the grid. The midfield is the most competitive. Um, you've got Williams who are up there. It's just, there's so much to talk about. There are so many brilliant stories and I'm just, as I said, so privileged and so honoured that I get to get to cover some of it and talk about it um, and learn more about this sport as well. It, like I say, it's my first season. So I'm soaking it all up like a sponge. <laughs> We'll go into kind of, we'll break it all down when we do talk to you and, and interview you. But first, what we're going to do is we're going to have a, a quick chat about the Brazilian Grand Prix um, that's coming up, obviously, this weekend. We were in the, the second race of a triple header. What are your expectations uh, from Brazil um, when you when you sit down to watch it this weekend? I think on paper, this is looking like another Red Bull track. Obviously, Max won in 2019. It once again is a higher altitude. I think Interlagos is 800 metres above sea level. So once again... Mercedes, Williams, Mercedes engines are going to say, you know, we Mm -hmm. are going to struggle on tracks like this, um, similarly to Mexico. But then I think Max, after Mexico, pretty much came out and said, no, we're not expecting to kick on in Brazil. We're expecting it to be another tough weekend. I think he's playing it down. He's playing it cool, as he has done all season, just trying to deflect Mm -hmm. that pressure of this title fight away from him. And when I've spoken to him this season, certainly Turkey, where obviously he started P20 and finished P2, he refused to even be drawn on Lewis. He wouldn't even go into the title fight at all. And I think that was where he said that um, his life wouldn't change if he finished second or first. He's really just downplaying it. Honestly, to the point where I feel like I was more excited in Turkey than he was about the title fight. And that's obviously how he's approaching it that's his coping mechanism and look it's working he's 19 points clear with four races to go and a win in brazil as i think could be on the cards mm. it's looking likely if it is to follow the patterns that we've seen in the past at interlagos then he'll be a clear race win ahead of hamilton with three races to go yes yes he's uh certainly doing very well we, we've kind of said uh within the podcast last week that it's Max's championship to lose now uh, and obviously after the weekend in Mexico that we've just seen and witnessed it, it's looking more and more so that way uh, and, and as a Brit uh, I've got a British bias uh, I don't know about you uh, it's 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 going to look it's going to be really difficult for Lewis Hamilton to kind of uh, get back uh, on the front on the front foot in the last four races I think um, I think it's pretty oh. much I, I'm putting it down as a, a Max championship already um, what, what do you what do you think Oh, that's a strong statement. Um, I think, I have to say, I think barring disaster or controversy or chaos or drama, which of course there's been absolutely none of this season whatsoever, I think, yeah, 
at the moment, the favour lies with Max, doesn't it? Yeah. He he is the man to be. It's his to lose. I do agree with that. I wouldn't go so far as to say it's his. It's in the bag. Mm. It's a done deal. Because like I say, this season has just served up so many twists and turns. It's a never ending soap opera, isn't it? Absolutely. And that's why we all love it. It is. Um, but I, 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 yeah, I wouldn't say it is a done deal by any stretch. Firstly, because I think you're looking just briefly past Brazil, mm-hmm. you've got Qatar and you've got Saudi, two new tracks with no data. So we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know who they favour. We don't, we can't predict that. And I think that's also really exciting. Uh, but yeah, win in Brazil and things are things are looking pretty good for Red Bull. And not just in, of course, the driver championship, but the constructor championship as well, because Perez has now got his third podium mm-hmm. on the trot after not getting one for nine races before Turkey. And that battle has closed right up. He's not, they're now within a point of Mercedes. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another hugely exciting one to keep an eye on as well. It is. Well, we'll go to one of the uh, Everything F1 crew. Uh, we'll go to Cara. What are you expecting from the weekend, Cara? Oh, God. Well, I think much like Laura said, I'm expecting Red Bull and Max Verstappen to dominate. I'd love for it to rain and, you know, for Mercedes. I know I say rain. I think it's so much more exciting when it rains. Um, I'd love but for not it- Belgium style <laughs> rain. Oh, no, it wasn't rain. <laughs> in the pissing wet in a garage in Belgium, willing a race on. I'm not doing that again. Just a light sprinkle to mix things up a mm-hmm. bit. And then I think, oh, it would be great if, you know, Mercedes won, you know, for the sport to keep the championship tight. But I just don't think it's going to happen. I think it's going to be much like this weekend, you know, the same with Ferrari dominating McLaren. I, I can see that myself. Uh, Sean, have you got anything any different to add, a different perspective that you're that you're looking forward to for the weekend? I'd love to sit on the fence and agree with Cara and say, for the sake of the championship, I'd love a Mercedes victory, but I'm not going to say that. I want Max to win the next race. <laughs> um, and realistically, I think he will. I mean, he won in 2019, and I've been looking through the stats in the past three races, 17, 18, 19, since this new generation of wider cars came in. Mercedes only have two podiums and one win. So it's not a Mercedes track anymore. They've like sure Lewis was out dragged to the to the finish line by Pierre Gasly in an underpowered Toro Rosso two years ago. So this is definitely not a Mercedes track anymore. What will interest me really is was Mexico a one-off for Perez in terms of his performance? I know he was third as well in USA, but we kind of said, you know, he's still 45 seconds off the base and no amount of not having the drink really accounts for that. Um, but it, it, Ted Kravitz was saying that, you know, that Sergio has been analysing uh, Max's driving style and he finally understands how Max drives this car. It's a huge step for the second Red Bull driver to, to be able to stay. Is he just saying that? Did he get the kind of the extra two tenths of being at home or will we see him come good in Brazil and actually take that second place off Lewis because I think then it's it's game over I mean they're only because Valtteri stole that one point off Lewis it's only they're, they're one point ahead now in the constructors um, which makes things just that little bit spicier mm-hmm. but from a driver's point of view I think Max is very nearly on the cusp of being like Nico Rosberg where he can skate through finishing second in the last few races I think if he wins the next one He's comfortable second for the last few. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm expecting Max to all but close it all. But I think, like Laura said, barring disaster, which is possible. I mean, that engine's bulletproof this season, though, hasn't it? That, that Honda. Yeah, it, it, it has been. And we still have that that what if of why did Valtteri take six engines? Five, if you take if you count the one that Imola was a, a write-off. But like, why is Valtteri on his sixth engine? Um, will Lewis have to take another one? And if he does, where is he going to take it? Surely Mexico is the last chance. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's 
a lot of questions. And one thing you can't do is predict Brazil because if you think back 2008, 2009, 2012, who predicted the wrong guess? I would imagine everyone predicted who was going to who was going to finish the championship wrong on those years. So uh, we, we we could see some drama happen. For all we know, Max will retire and Lewis and Valtteri will finish one too. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> But that would certainly make the you know championship go to that to that last race, wouldn't it? Because as I said, the the, the Red Bull is the stronger car this season, so mm. they could make it back. Um, Coops, have you got anything to add to everyone's uh, ramblings about the Brazilian Grand Prix expectations? Well, first off, I want everyone to just take a minute, and we heard Hiller say that this is Max's championship. <laughs> now, all season, he said the exact opposite. I'll always have hope. Even at this, even before Mexico, he was like, no, no, it's still there. No. And this is the first time it's came out of his mouth. You, you, you take your minute. You take. I'm, ta- I'm taking it. In the preseason, I said that Red Bull were running both. So, I mean, I've stayed with Red Bull ever since preseason. So, mm. I just want everyone to remember that Trevor said that <laughs> and make sure that, that that's the clip that's going on to the internet <laughs> to get people to listen to the podcast. Just tell us saying those words. James has conveniently changed his background from Lewis Hamilton now to is it is it Red Bull it's in the red, background? Red, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's literally very convenient. Very Even convenient. The ardent <laughs> Hamilton fan on the podcast is kind of slipping, but British fan. Okay. <laughs> but what about the uh, what what about your expectations from that McLaren and Ferrari battle then? Let's let's talk about something a bit further down the field because we could sit and talk about Max and Lewis all day, absolutely. But there's plenty of other great battles to uh, to to kind of get excited about. Um there's 13 points in the constructors championship between uh, McLaren and Ferrari with Ferrari being out on in front now. What what can you expect from that? We that's that's only very recently turned. Well, if Daniel Ricciardo can continue his upward slope, because I think he's pretty much bested Norris for quite a few of the last races. This weekend mm. was different because he got him, he tripped himself over or he tripped up with Bottas. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, he, he, he kind of wiped the floor with Norris at America. And that's the kind of first time where you actually saw the Daniel Ricciardo that McLaren wanted to sign in that mm. If he continues doing that, uh, then we should see him getting close to it. But this is, again... This battle's Ferraris to lose. They've got the most. They've got the two most consistent drivers. They're the two most comfortable in those cars. And the car is, is a nice, well balanced, decent machine. There doesn't seem to be anything that catches them out too much. It's good to see the Ferrari performing well again, isn't it? Not against McLaren, <laughs> no. <laughs> but uh, that is. I, I mean, I think the biggest one, and it comes to the groups if we move down, it's Alpine and. Alpha Tauri. You mean Alpine and Pierre Gasly? <laughs> yeah. Lucas Nod is there occasionally. He doesn't trip himself up or be tripped up or just crash. He's fast becoming notorious along with the other Haas driver. It'll be interesting, that battle. Okay, well, let's let's talk to Laura about that then. Uh, you Have you been enjoying the McLaren-Ferrari battle all season? Yeah, it's been brilliant, hasn't it? And certainly the US Grand Prix as well, where you just had sort of a McLaren Ferrari sandwich mm. um, while sort of it went ahead up front. But, you know, in the middle, you had Carlos Sainz, I think at one point, sandwiched between Ricardo and Norris and then both trying to overtake sort of some brilliant moves on each other. It was great battling. It's great to see as well. Mm. Um, but I think it's really interesting to see how Ferrari have really kicked on since both took the new power units. Um And even Carlos taking the power unit in Turkey, where he saw that Charles had pace, he still managed to come from behind. I think he finished P8 in Turkey, if my memory 
my note, my book of results here serves me right, but I'm pretty sure it was P8. But he was driver of the day there for just some of the most brilliant overtakes. So it's really interesting. As you said, I think it's it's good to see, obviously, Ferrari kick on. They had their worst season ever last year um, for something like 40 years. So, And it's always really strange when you walk through the paddock because I think we're also used to seeing Ferrari kind of within at least the top four, top five, and still walking right down the paddock to get to them um, and talk about them. And it's it's just a, it's just a, seems a surreal thing given their results this season. Um, but it is. But I, again, I've really enjoyed seeing the resurgence of McLaren as well, and enjoyed seeing first Fernando Norris. I mean that one two as well at Monza. Like who can't love that? Mm. It was just brilliant, wasn't it? And and seeing Daniel Ricciardo as well. I think even watching him kind of struggle and get used to the car and then in the second half of the season, as you said, really start to kick on. It's been it's been fun to watch, hasn't it? That kind of Daniel Ricciardo of old coming through. Um, you know, he, I think he said something like, I never left. I was always here. You know, it's just, it's nice. It's good to see. Um, but I've been loving that battle. And again, the Alpine, AlphaTauri one as well, Alpine. Um, especially Yuki Tsunoda one, the Alpine Pierre Gasly one. I think Pierre has been so exciting to watch this season. He's had some bad luck as well. I think um, like, you know, a puncture um, or engine failures or whatever it's been, he's had sort of momentary po- uh, points in races where he's just been on the wrong end of the luck and you take that away and he could be, you know, f- he's flying basically. Mm. And that's, that's brilliant to see as well. He's very impressive in that car. Um, he, obviously, he was promoted to the Red Bull team just a bit too early, I think, um, and it really knocked his confidence. Uh, but he just seems very ever confident in that AlphaTauri team. Um, I, I think it's it's kind of more, well, it's less pressured, uh, and and it, it kind of thrives in that kind of environment. Where where would you see him going in the future? Do you, do you see like a seat opening up for Alp, in Alpine for him? Maybe when Alonso leaves in a couple of years, maybe. Yeah, it could be. I had. Um it's interesting would he ever go back to Red Bull Mm. but I don't I don't know it seems at the moment certainly that Sergio Perez has been that second driver they've been looking for and like you said whether Pierre Gasly sort of thrives in 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 a team in which he feels fully supported Mm. and is the number one that's clearly the environment he thrives in um and yeah it's interesting it's it's funny to think where where you know seats will open up in the future um Alpine certainly could be a good one for Pierre Gasly. Obviously, a French outfit, French driver. A nice, a nice matchup. Yeah, it could could very well work. Sean, what, what can you tell us? Talk to us about what you're expecting from one of the other teams that we haven't mentioned. Maybe at the weekend in Brazil. Oh, good question. I mean, Sebastian Vettel had a good weekend in in Mexico. I think we always, especially kind of the latter half of this season, we've come to start to expect more from him. I think obviously um, he was there in in Baku, and he had you know Alpine's blunder in Hungary ripped him of another brilliant podium well deserved staying out of trouble um since then he's kind of been up and down but like when he gets into the battles he's doing really well and he had a good he had a good weekend uh, he had a good strategy in 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 Mexico so I wouldn't be too surprised to see him up there then again I don't necessarily think it's necessarily an Aston track I think they're going to struggle maybe a little bit like Mark in the same way that they all seem to in 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 Mexico but I wouldn't put it past Seb to, to pull something out of the hat. He, he loves Brazil. He has a lot of very good memories of Brazil. What was it? 14th to set fourth or something like that to win the championship in 2012. Uh, uh, so he, uh, he, he, knows how to, he knows how to overtake there, even though it's not a great circuit for overtaking if it's dry. But uh, as Karen said, if it rains, it could be a 
an especially exciting race. And obviously we, we all kind of go into Brazil expecting at least a drizzle. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't think anyone has ever spectated the Brazilian Grand Prix with at least a small umbrella in their pocket. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Aston, maybe I think Stroll needs needs a bounce back. He did himself did himself no favours in in uh, in Mexico with that crash. He just he was he was floundering in Nowheresville. I'd like to see the the, the Alfa Romeos do well as well in in Brazil. I think they both had a pretty good race. I think Giovinazzi was a little bit unlucky. I know he like of anyone this season because he's the only one left without a seat. He's under immense pressure. I think he's done quite a good job this year in a car that's rubbish <laughs> but as we've kind of talked about before does he deserve the drive next year maybe not against some of the, the juniors coming up but uh i'd quite like to see him get into the points i think uh, i think after like the momentum of mexico could, could, could benefit them again that the higher altitude seemed to actually the ferrari engine seemed to quite like the higher altitude mm. so that could that could play into alpha's favor as well so yeah the two of them vettel and uh, and uh, the alphas will be quite interesting. And then just even on, just to touch on the McLarens really quickly, one thing I want to say is like Laura said, that like the latter half of the season, Daniel Ricciardo's come into it. I think they've changed something on that braking system in the McLaren over the winter because literally since then, he has been exactly the Daniel Ricciardo of old. And the two tracks where it's perfect to show that is Monza, which is ridiculously heavy braking and Mexico, which that long straight is ridiculously heavy braking. And how did he say ahead of Bottas? He outbraked him even ahead of him every single lap. So it is Daniel back to his best. They've clearly fixed something on the braking on that car that really, really suits him. Um, I'm sure he's worked hard with them on that. So it's good to see. I mean, I'm looking forward to, to seeing that battle go to the wire as well, that third place battle. Two more things, just we haven't mentioned it's sprint quality as well. It's the final sprint quality Ooh. of the um sprint race. Absolutely. Um of, of the season. And also on the Alfa Romeo seat as well. Um, I have seen a headline today saying that. Um, the seat will be decided after Brazil. Ooh. So that's last Ooh. chance to in Who do you think it'll go to? <laughs> Put you on the spot. <laughs> I don't. I um, I mean, I'm just going to name all the names that everyone's talking about, aren't I? Um, so you've obviously got Piastri, you've got Herta, Giovinazzi, um, although I'm not sure about um, Colton Herta after, of course, the... Um, Andretti deal has mm-hmm. fallen through. Um, and then you've also Guan got um, Guan Yu Zhu as mm. well. Yeah, exactly. I've just named the names that are all being linked. <laughs> I haven't really offered any insight there whatsoever. Um, I mean, Piastri's been a real hot ticket, yeah. hasn't he? That's kind of a name on everyone's he, lips. That he's certainly driven in a way that deserves... He, he's that my show. He is, he's been phenomenal to watch in F2 and F3 last season for that matter. Um, and to yeah. go from F2 and win it, from F3 and win it to F2, I'd probably win it. Um, I think he, more than anyone, I know he doesn't have the backing of Joe, but Joe's been in F2 for too long now. I think Piastri maybe deserves it more than anyone, but we shall see. It'd be inter- we now have something to, to look forward to after Brazil for, for next week's podcast. <laughs> so now we'll go to Cara. Who are you looking forward to that we haven't spoken about um, to watch in, in, in the race this weekend? Any, any other teams that we haven't spoken about today? Oh, I mean, my go-to team is McLaren. I feel like we've touched on them a no. bit. I always, you know, I always root for Russell as well. Obviously him being a, a British driver and I always want 
um, Williams to do mm. well. And I feel like this has been such a good season for him. And I'm so excited for him coming to Mercedes next year. Mm. Um, and I just feel like it's so impressive what he can get out of that car. It's much like, you know, what Pierre Gasly gets out of his. He's always pushing it to the absolute mm-hmm. limit. And I think that shows like what an incredible driver he is. And you think about when he gets in a Mercedes and the power that has, you, you know, the sky's the limit. And this is going off piece a bit, but sort of the relationship that's going to build between him and Lewis. Mm. Yeah, I think that's going to be so interesting. But yeah, being a McLaren fan, I'm I'm really hoping for them um, in Brazil. And, you know, you talk about, oh, third and fourth, maybe it's not that big difference. But I think as a fan, you know, you you want them to come third. And we're talking about, oh, will Brazil just be similar to Mexico because of, you know, the altitude and things like that. And I think Ferrari probably will have the upper hand again. But then if McLaren do come through, and like we're saying, Danny Rick's got this great form again, he's got this confidence, Mm. I think... That would be amazing. And it's almost, you know, the fight for first and second in the championship, the fight for third and fourth. It's what makes it exciting is, oh, it swings one way and then it swings back the other. And that's what you want to see. You've got every opportunity for for it to go the opposite way uh, this season. There's, I, I did kind of declare Max Verstappen the winner earlier, but, you know, it really could. this year, The way this year has gone, it, it could swing in any direction whatsoever. Yeah, just about to be about that. So you got a rotten bit of luck in, in Mexico. Obviously, brilliant to get the pole. Who was it that made the joke that since he signed for Alpha, he's been more like uh, Mika Hakkinen? He's been really the flying fin. He has been in extremely good form, and I think most people would have picked him for at least a podium. Obviously, starting on pole is not the best place to start in Mexico. I'd love to see him back up in the mix uh, in Brazil and not get punted out this time because I think he's actually becoming a bit of a thorn in Lewis's side towards this end of the season. Yeah. Which, again, makes everything more interesting and the swings and roundabouts of the championship. Like, Valtteri could actually be the one to steal some points off both Lewis and Max coming into these last four races provided you didn't get punted off a few times. But I think if he can keep, himself, keep his nose clean into turn one in Brazil, he'll be a threat because... He just seems to have exited up a notch since signing that contract. It's just, it's the weight of the world seems to be off him. He doesn't care about this year's championship at all. It doesn't really yeah. affect him whether Mercedes win or not because he's leaving anyway. He's saying all the right things though. He's saying, oh, you know, I'm going to support, I'm here to support Lewis. I'm here to do this, that, and the other for. Uh, yeah, of course, for the team. in front of the cameras. <laughs> <laughs> but do you think if he. Or, or is. Is he the third Red Bull driver this year, this year for the remainder of the season? Do you think that either him or Perez would have gotten out of the way if they were both leading into the final lap of the race for Lewis or Max? Oh, no, hope in hell. Neither of them, yeah. neither of them were going to budge out of first place. And I think that'll show through for the rest of the season. I think uh, Valtteri, I think he's. I think Mexico was a blip and I don't think it was his fault. He maybe could have tried hard to get past Ricardo. He was in a faster car, but I'll kind of forgive him that because Danny's in the form. Watch out for him. They, I wouldn't even like maybe even suggest stick a fiver on him for Brazil just as an outside bet because I think he still has a lot to give the rest of the season. Keeps. Is there anyone that we haven't spoken about that you'd like to speak about? No, I think you've kind of touched on everybody else. I mean, the Alpines are slowly getting there. The car themselves aren't, isn't, isn't a great car. It's all right. It's relatively well balanced, but it's not a particularly fast car. Alpha Tauri have underperformed all season just because they have a better car than where they are on the constructors' table. Uh, Gasly's got Gasly's back's about to break because he's holding the weight of that team on his on his shoulders. So no, I don't have too much. I mean, but yeah, uh, no, I think we've kind of touched on everybody else. There's not really anything else. I mean, 
we can mention Haas because they were there and we probably won't mention them again. How many laps down do you think Mazepin will be? Oh, it's a short track. Oh, <laughs> five? <six. laughs> Only five, yeah, yeah. something like that. Okay, Mazepin will be five or six laps down. I don't think there's really much else to touch on. Positive showing for Mick Schumacher in qualifying? Well, what else can he do in that car? Yeah, there's not a lot else. <laughs> I mean, if they don't get into the top 10 shootout in the first race in 2022, there's something seriously wrong. Because they've had a full year to plan this new car out. So they have to have something going right. We'll see. George Russell, maybe. I don't know what went on with Williams this weekend, actually. Uh, the previous race, I know we're, going on, we're, talking about, we're talking about Brazil. But the, the Williams for Norway, so I don't know if it's going to be the same because, you know, similar altitudes. The Mercedes Turbo doesn't particularly like the high altitude. And maybe mm. we see William, the Williams cars down at the bottom end again. I think we'll kind of touch on everything else. Really. Okay, so for our UK listeners then, there's times that you can expect to watch the well, the show this weekend. Pra- Free Practice 1 is on Friday at 3.30 until 4.30. Uh, then we've got the qualifying session on the Friday from 7 o'clock until 8 p.m. Then on Saturday, you've got Free, uh, free Practice 2 from 3 o'clock until 4 o'clock. And we've got that all-important sprint at 7.30 till 8 uh, on the Saturday. And then, of course, the race from 5 o'clock until 7 o'clock on Sunday. Uh, now, Laura did mention the sprint. Um, are you a fan of the sprints, Laura? Do you know, I actually... <laughs> uh, each of the Grand Prix where they've tested the sprint format, I've not been to. Yeah. I've been working elsewhere. <laughs> and it's, it's not deliberate. It's, it's nothing personal against yeah. the, the sprint format. I... Um, so I'm not the best place to comment in the sense that I haven't seen it kind of come to fruition mm. at Grand Prix and, and whatever else. I, I, I think it's great that F1 are trying something new. And I think it's great that um, Friday mm. means something, that there's something um, to play with. There's something at stake on Friday. I think that's really good. It creates like a whole weekend rather than kind of Friday just being practice. And I think there's still space for that, but I think... It's good. And I and I understand my F1 are making that shift to sort of say, right, Friday is, you know, there is something to yeah. um, to play for. And I think that's, that is a good step forward for sure. How about you, Sean? Do you think it's going to suit the sprint? Mm, no, I think I think part of why Brazil was given the sprint was that they missed out last year and they're pretty desperate to get some ticket sales and having, like you said, having something happen on Friday and all day Saturday really helps that. So I, th- I, I, I don't know that. Don't quote me on that. I have no sources for this. If I had to guess why they chose this over, say, Mexico or Qatar looks like a nice wide track, that'd be interesting. Um, I would say it's probably because they missed out on last season and they wanted to entice more people to come along because they were having troubles. Like even there, there was a risk of it being knocked off the calendar for for financial reasons for a, couple, for a while there. So, again, I don't... It might rain. <laughs> I haven't checked the weather forecast, but uh, it, uh, it, it might rain. And then, yes, it'll definitely help um, Sprint. But I don't think that's a good enough reason to kind of keep with it for next year. It's like, oh, it was great in Brazil because it rained. Uh, you know, they can't manufacture rain, although people have, didn't Bernie Eccleston say he wanted to wet the tracks artificially um, with yeah. sprinklers. Yeah. I mean, sp- sprinkler-affected sprint races could be interesting in the future. You'll be turning Formula 1 to Mario Kart shortly. <laughs> Max yeah. with a banana in the front. Look at the blue shell, because that always goes to the leader. Yeah. Okay, well, let's move on then, because that's our, that's our Brazilian kind of preview and chat. Um, I just want to get your top three prediction um, before we move on. I'll go to Cara, because we haven't heard you for a little while. Uh, give us a one, two, three for Brazil. 
So Max is going to win. Bottas is going to come second. And Hamilton's going to come third. I'm going to play it pretty uncontroversial there. Well, maybe a little bit with Bottas, but... Sean, I'm going to say Bottas to win, Max second, and Lewis third. Capes. Uh, Max, Perez, Hamilton. And Laura. I'm going to agree with Coops. Max, Perez, Hamilton. And I'm going to say, <laughs> because I just want to be different, I'm going to say Lewis Hamilton. I'm going to say Max Verstappen. And I'm going to say, let's throw Sergio under the bus somewhere. Let's 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 bring a McLaren up there. Let's say Lando again. Why not? Just just for the fun of it. That'd be fun. That would be fun. I'd, I'd be happy as a McLaren fan. If he if he if if he actually gets the podium, like at podium time, not four hours later this time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's our Brazilian preview. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, we're going to head on now to our interview to interview our, our lovely guest that's popped on to see us today, uh, Laura Winter. Hi, Laura Winter. Thank you very much for uh, previewing the Brazilian Grand Prix with us. Um, you obviously, you spoke to us earlier about how you are a broadcast journalist or you're a broadcaster. You have been away for the weekend doing rugby. How was that? Not broadcasting F1, I'm sorry. No. I had lots of enraged um, Instagram message requests. And I was like, why aren't you at Mexico? <laughs> I'm very sorry. No, I, um, I work across sports and I think um, I really enjoy doing that because when you go away from each sport and then go back to it, you remember why you love it and it keeps everything fresh and exciting and the variety I think is really good. And you can learn from different sports and bring new perspective back to, you know, whichever sport you're, you're returning to. Um, So I I really enjoy working in multiple sports, even if occasionally I may call riders, drivers or drivers, riders (laughs) or players or drivers, players or players, riders. I I, I sort of, you know, my brain works overtime sometimes, but I, I love it. And in terms of broadcast journalism, what what kind of made you want to go into that sort of aspect of of sport? It's really funny looking back because I think I always thought that it was kind of something that was an impossible dream. Like Mm. when you're a kid and you say, I want to be an actress or I want to be a pop star. It's just something ridiculous that kids think. But I've always loved sport. Um, I was a competitive swimmer for 12 years. Um, So I spent my childhood thinking of chlorine and and getting up at 5am and being very competitive with it. Mm. Um, And I also loved English at school and I loved drama at school. And I suppose when I went through university, I realised that I wanted to do something within sport media. And it was kind of like finding a way to combine those three things, the sport, the theatre, performance and English, I suppose, you know, writing, using words, trying to at least. And um, I kind of I found my way into um, my first job out of university actually was um, was in rowing. I spent my time at university rowing um, at Loughborough. And um, from there, I went into the World Rowing Federation and was a social media and marketing communications assistant or something like that. Um, And so it was kind of the birth of social media before people really knew how to troll properly. (laughs) So it's quite a nice place to be and no one did anything cool or there were no memes or GIFs. It was all really sort of basic and um, showing my age there a little bit. And um, that, that took me to 2012, to London 2012 and the Olympic Games. And so I was working at home Olympic Games at the age of 22, just thinking, this is like a complete dream come true, just magic. Um, but I think there I knew that while I'm loving being here, what I wish I was doing was 
interviewing, presenting, reporting on camera. And so that was kind of the catalyst. I needed a bit of a shove to go right, make it happen, find a way, find a path. Uh, so I, I returned home back to the UK. I was living out in Switzerland for that job. Mm-hmm. And then I spent two years um, on a regional sports desk, um, sort of learning the hard way, jumping through hoops and um, doing the hard yards at sort of rugby grounds in the, you know, freezing cold on a Saturday um, in the mud with about 18 layers on. But it was brilliant. And it was really, it was a very, very good starting point into the industry. I did two years there, um, got a qualification in sports journalism on the job as well, which worked out really well. And then decided just to go freelance, which looking back was an incredibly rogue decision Mm. um, and not one I would actually recommend to people to do. (laughs) My first month freelance as a presenter, bear in mind I presented... I presented, so I got my first sort of like breakthrough job was the Commonwealth Games 2014 in Glasgow. Right. And I presented the netball in the stadium. So on the big screens um, and all that kind of thing and loved it. Absolutely loved it and thought, right, make this happen. You'll go freelance and it'll just, it'll just work. You'll be a presenter in no time. Yeah. It doesn't work like that at all. <laughs> um, and my first, my first month freelance was the December actually and I had a couple of jobs and the January was was the bad month I earned 40 pounds and that was reporting on a football game um in Oxford and I I live in Cheltenham and it's about almost an hour drive up to Oxford so I think the 40 pounds I earned I'd actually probably spent on like petrol or coffee and some sort of like garage station terrible food so I actually probably didn't earn any money whatsoever um but from there I started working in cycling and in women's cycling um toward the end of that month and then it kind of snowballed from there a little bit snowballed slowly to start and then from kind of 2018-19 things began to to pick up and I actually started working in motorsport in 2019 in rallycross which um for those who have never watched it is the most amazing ridiculous sport it was just I had so so much fun working in it I did four rounds of the world rallycross championship I got asked to do it sign the contract and then googled what is rallycross <laughs> I had no idea I just knew I had to say yes um and then the wonderful Andrew Coley who's one of the best commentators I've ever heard he took me under his wing and taught me everything there is to know about rallycross and actually it was from there that I then got put in touch with F1 and flew out to Belgium for my first Grand Prix in um, the August of that year which of course was um an, actually an incredibly tragic weekend um with the death of Antoine Hubert so it was a it was a pretty stark reminder of how precious life is and, and how dangerous motorsport is as well. Um, but one in which I knew that F1 was something very special and that the motorsport community was was also very special as well. So interesting hearing about your career development. I'm actually studying broadcast journalism because so I sort of found you through social media and I was like, James, please can we get Laura on the podcast? <laughs> so and now you're here. Um, I suppose my first question would be, you obviously get to report on loads of different sports, the cycling, the rugby. How does F1 differ from those? I get, I do get asked a lot, which is your favorite sport? How would you rank them and, and what's different? Um, and it's really interesting because the, the F1 experiences that I've had pretty much up to before the Turkish Grand Prix had all been relatively, um, miserable isn't the right word because I've loved it, but 
Uh, certainly not the F1 that I think we all knew pre-COVID. Obviously, Belgium was an incredibly somber, tragic weekend. And then every other Grand Prix I've done, I did one in 2020 in Germany. And then this season up to Belgium pretty much were fans or limited fans. Well, sorry, no fans or limited fans. It wasn't until Austria we saw more fans coming in. But then the US Grand Prix... <laughs> happened and I have never in my life experienced some of the things that happened there I'd be walking through the paddock talking to camera with Jerry I mean Jerry had obviously a face among the paddock but kind of bonkers she'd walk up behind me and then Megan the stallion arrives with her, honestly like, oh yeah it, I can't I sometimes think about it when I'm falling asleep at night I just can't get it out of my head it was just one of the funniest most surreal things I've ever seen so her entourage is all around her there are fans lining sort of the pit building they're screaming over the barriers Cardi B Cardi B I'm losing my mind on camera because it's just so extraordinarily surreal so she walks past at this point all the drivers are coming back from the driver's parade so Lewis Hamilton then runs into me and Checo like darts under the camera and I was like what is and I'm just trying to like hold it together live you know I was on the big screens there at um, track tv it's called um and I'm trying to like just hold it together and thinking this is just the most bizarre surreal ridiculous experience and one that you wouldn't you don't get in other sports it's just this circus and I mean that in the best way it's this complete traveling show the glitz, the glamour. And I think I hadn't really properly seen the full extent of it until the US, mm. where obviously photographers were back in, VIPs were back in, and the fans were out in, you know, 400,000 strong over the weekend. So just nuts. And I think that element of it is something that you don't get really in other sports. But like I said, you kind of have to go away from a sport to realize why you love it and like keep each one fresh. Uh, but the grid as well was the most nuts I've ever been on. And um, I think watching Megan Lee Stallion pose over Max's car while a poor mechanic is desperately like bending down with, I'm sorry, her ass literally in his face, desperately trying to like, I don't know, probably get the tire on the car and she's like twerking over Max's car. I was just loving every second, honestly. Um, so that's probably that sounds, what makes, yeah, that sounds that's what makes everyone different. But no, it, it's a complete soap opera. It's drama. It's a circus. Um, but also, I don't want to make it seem frivolous. I think at the heart of it, there is this extraordinary team ethic as well. And you're surrounded by whether it's in broadcast, whether it's in um, within the, you know, the teams themselves and, and the mechanics and engineers, you're surrounded by the most brilliant minds, the most creative people. Um, you're surrounded by genius. You're surrounded by just elite people. And that's so inspiring to be a part of. I, I was going to ask <laughs> What's your favorite part of reporting the F1? But I feel like you really well covered yeah. that. Um, so beyond that, other than seeing Megan the Stallion be called the wrong person and twerk over a Red Bull mechanic, I suppose what's what's been like in in your time in F1 and like the the paddock walks, the interviews you've done. What's been maybe the, the the best or the most standout interview or person you've spoken to within the world of F1? I mean, obviously you've got like the superstar geniuses like Adrian Newey and Ross Braun and obviously all the drivers. But if you, if you were to pick one moment or one kind of standout interview that you've, you've done over the past couple of years. Um, I think I always enjoy speaking to Daniel Ricciardo for obvious reasons. He's just the most smiley, lovely person. Even if he's had a bad race, you know that you'll get a good interview from him. And also as somebody new coming into the sport where you just desperately don't want to, 
piss people off. Um, am I allowed to swear, by the way? Sorry, I keep swearing. I, I do um, You don't want to annoy people. Um, you know where you stand with Daniel and you know that even if he's had a terrible race and he's sad and, you know, he will still um, do his job and do it well and give you kind of like that golden stuff. I think I did the interview, I don't know if you saw it on social media, where a bee attacked him mid-interview. And um, I was staring at this giant bee just past his head. And he looked at me like, you're looking at me like there's a bee. Is there a bee? And this bee then ducks. And then he starts talking to Lando about cookies and brownies. And I was like, so Friday, <laughs> FB2, let's talk about that. Uh, and that's just fun, you know, it's just... It allows you to be yourself. It allows you to relax on camera as well. And that's that's really joyful. I um, interviewed Juan Manuel Correa very recently oh, wow. um, in the US. How is he? Um, and yeah, he's good. He's great. He's really good. And that was, that was very special actually to talk to him about um, the work he's doing, um, Operation Motorsport outside, the kind of charity and awareness he's doing with veterans. Mm -hmm. um, and just to talk about his recovery, you know, 25 surgeries, his most recent ones to take the pins out, um, his feeling when he got back in a car, you just kind of think this is, and for me, obviously that being my first Grand Prix as well, it, it's something that resonates with me. It, you know, I'll never, ever forget that. I'll never forget that weekend. I'll never forget. Um, I was actually in the pit lane for F2. I was standing next to Correa's team. I could hear them calling him on the radio. And I'll, I'll never forget the hush that descended. It just is something that will live with me forever. And so to speak to him as well, quite recently, and we had a really like, and he was just lovely, just you know, what a, what a guy, just amazing, amazing person. And I, I just, yeah, it was, it was lovely to speak to him. Uh, just to touch on your kind of, your, your past, uh, have you always kind of followed motorsport or was that something you fell into with your, with your career? Was, was something you enjoyed before you became a journalist? I always, I always feel guilty saying this, but genuinely it's something I've fallen into um, and I do feel guilty because I know there are people who, are, who would love to do my job who've probably followed F1 for years and I'm here saying, oh, and I just sort of, you know, decided, you know, stumbled <laughs> into it. Um, but, but I did, and I did, um, I did do that. F1 was certainly on in the house when I was a kid and actually my brother used to, um, he'd, he'd reenact Grand Prix around, around the house. So he would push toy cars along um to be and I think I think Coulthard always won or Damon Hill always <laughs> won one of the two I mean not entirely reflective of kind of you know reality um so like I said I grew up with sport and all sport mm. so the the Grand Prix were always on on the Sundays but I then you know dipped out didn't I was aware of the seasons aware of obviously Lewis Hamilton's dominance but it wasn't a sport that I followed religiously week in week out um and I kind of wish, you know, it had been now knowing what I know now, but honestly, I'm so grateful that I, I stumbled into it um, and I've taken it, you know, fully and, and, and also come at it um, with a kind of a different perspective in that case. I, I am not following the sport or reporting on the sport as somebody who is a huge fan. I'm coming in with a sort of what I hope is a perspective from other sports as well and from other jobs and um, looking at it that way. But no, motorsport wasn't something that I ever really envisaged myself working in. I think that speaks though to how special and unique it is that it can drag pretty much 
anybody in, um, you know, to, to, to work in it and then fall in love with it and become completely obsessed. And I now bore my friends and my poor mom, literally stupid. I'm like, did you see what happened in the Grand Prix? They're like, no, no. <laughs> I have to say to my friend, I literally have to ask permission. Can I just talk about F1 for one second? She's like, okay, what now? And I'm like, there are six points in it and it's going to rain on Sunday. <laughs> She's like, shut up. I don't care. <laughs> exactly exactly um you do your own podcast as well don't you um yeah that was a lockdown sort of passion project yeah yeah I haven't done another series actually but I did do two series through however many lockdowns we seem to have had in the UK yeah because you've had uh Jamie Chadwick was one of your guests we, we've also had we've also yeah. had Jamie Chadwick on which was which yeah. is great to talk to um you, you obviously would have seen a bit of the W series uh what was what's your take on on that I think it was amazing actually that you know coming into the US of course we had this sort of like talk about Lewis versus Max and actually well, hang on Jamie versus Alice two races and that's going to be decided this weekend it was so exciting and I think it showed Jamie's steely resilience um you know her cool head that she came through that challenge mm. um she came through that pressure to win both races, um, to see off Alice and, and to take, um, you know, back-to-back titles, albeit with the 2020 hi- hiatus from racing. Yeah. But I mean, she's brilliant. I think now what I'd love to see is, is her to be able to push on F3, F2 and really, and obviously she's now got the points on her super license as well, which will help aid that. But I'd love to see that, that W series actually delivering sort of what it what it is there for and the platform that it is giving these women to push on and and for her to actually become a force you know alongside male drivers as well I, I think it will be I think it's brilliant and I think she's certainly on on track isn't mm. she to becoming you know the first woman since what the 70s to, to race f1 let's hope I think there's a couple a couple more steps before that happens uh unfortunately because yeah. I think she it'd be great to at least get her into a couple of free practice sessions to see how she how exactly. she would perform. Um, Cara wants to chat to you about kind of women in motorsport. Uh, obviously, we we'll, we thought we'd leave that to to our resident woman um, to, to do to do that because it makes sense. <laughs> well, to be fair, I was like James, you better give me the women in motorsport <laughs> questions. I wouldn't have been happy otherwise. <laughs> no, obviously, huge Jamie Chadwick fan. But I was supposed thinking about it more from a broadcasting point of view. I know a lot of sports broadcasting is male dominant dominated even and sort of what have your experiences being a female broadcaster you know in the paddock on the f1 i think it's something that i'm not aware of and also acutely aware of at the same time if that makes sense so um i can come away from grand prix feeling like i'm just any other broadcaster there um and i don't feel the pressure that i perhaps once felt to sort of you need to do a really good job here because you are a woman and therefore you, you know, there is that saying you have to work twice as hard to be taken half as seriously. And to an extent, I do believe that's true. Um, But I also think that, you know, life's only getting easier for women. I believe coming into sport, it's becoming more and more normalized. Um, It's becoming more and more, accept widely accepted that of course women will talk about motorsport and of you know of course they'll be involved in any sport they want to be in because it is not it's no longer just for men it's no longer the sort of garden shed of the sporting world you know any anyone is allowed in and the the we races one f1 banner says that dictates that that you know motorsport is for everybody and 
I, I think motorsport has actually been for me a really welcoming community. I've not felt a real sort of you don't belong here or it's not for you. You're a woman. You're surrounded in the paddock by brilliant women, you know, Natalie Pink and Rachel Brooks, Rosanna Tennant, just to name three. And there are others as well from, you know, from Germany, Spain, um, Italy, I can think of, who you see week in, week out at, at every Grand Prix. And uh, it, it to me, it doesn't seem like we're in the minority, although we, we may be, you know, statistically in the minority mm. when you're there you I admit and perhaps that's I'm fortunate that I don't feel it or see it but to me I, I just I just want to do my job and, and crack on and you you are aware that you know within the teams it's heavily male dominated but certainly within the world of the media I look around and see many other women around the pen or um or you know behind the camera so I think yeah. it's definitely an improving situation um and one which you know, the world's going that way. So you either keep up or jump off, you know, there's no space now for people to say that motorsport or sport generally isn't a place for a woman because quite frankly it is and we're here to stay. What what, what one yeah. piece of advice would you give to anyone listening or even Cara who is looking to get into that anyway? For any young women looking to get into kind of motorsport journalism or just journalism in general, what would you say uh, to, to those younger aspiring women? I would say... Um, be humble and listen, learn, take constructive feedback, which is something difficult when you want it so much mm. and the ego kind of gets in the way and you, you know, you feel it really acutely. Um, but take that feedback and take it in and, and turn it around. Um, yeah, be humble, listen. Um, the other one's gone from my head now. What I was going to say was be yourself and keep it simple. I think they're two really crucial things. I remember writing them in my notebook before my first Grand Prix um, because I obviously was coming into this brand new world I didn't know much about. And I thought, oh my God, you know, I've got so much to soak in, so much to learn, all this terminology. Mm. And actually I'm not there to regurgitate, you know, the technical requirements or the technical rules or anything I'm there to tell stories and to speak to drivers and to um speak about you know the ex my experiences within the paddock I'm not there to sort of be this technical font of knowledge which I certainly wasn't mm. then um and I probably am not so much now but I'm I'm learning and I think that's really important so keep it simple be yourself and there's one more but I keep I keep forgetting what I'm going to say um keep it simple be yourself listen be humble I think that's four pieces of advice I'd give uh, and I guess just don't just don't listen to the don't listen to the opinion of people who you wouldn't ask advice from. I think that's pretty critical. And it's one that I have to tell myself all the time when you read YouTube comments uh, or, you know, social media comments and you see people slagging you off simply because you have the audacity to be a woman <laughs> in a paddock. Um, and you just think, oh, gee, but, but you don't know you know, you don't know what my job is. You don't know what my role is. And if your bosses are happy, if your producer and your director are happy with you, then that really is, that's all there is to it. So that's, that's kind of how I've had to frame, frame it in my mind, um, really. So I suppose that's quite a lot of advice, not one piece. That's sorry. Good. No, it's good. <laughs> Cara, did, did, did you want to ask any, any further questions from that? 
Oh, I've, no, that was so interesting. I sort of want to say it's really encouraging what you were saying about how the paddock and F1's just been such a welcoming, welcoming environment for you. I feel like, obviously, you say the media in the paddock, it feels pretty, you know, well split. I suppose more from a viewer's point of view, maybe the screen time is the only thing that maybe doesn't feel as split. And maybe hopefully, as you know, year on year, that will see more sort of female faces in the main in the main segments. That's what I'm hoping for anyway, because I just think, you know, it just add, you know it adds even more to it. And then you were talking about um, the W series as well, and obviously Jamie Chadwick. And do you think that, you know, that being tagged along with the F1, that's really benefited it? I think it's been tricky this season because of COVID, because there has been a split and understandably so obviously keeping paddock separate and so on so that you don't so for example i um you i'd have loved to have talked to one of the w series drivers and had them you know in with us and, and having a chat we didn't have that opportunity because the paddocks were separate that's the only thing i think this season where it's probably not fulfilled the, the potential it could have having them on the same billing the same weekends but it but having this complete race program has put those women, for example, in Austin, in front of up to 400,000 fans and they have watched their races. And that's the critical thing. That's put Jamie Chadwick's name on many more lips. It's put Alice Powell's name on many more lips. That's, and that's the really crucial thing that it's the visibility of it. And it will just continue to grow from there. I, I do believe in, I do believe in standalone female events where you can really truly measure the return of investment. You can truly measure quantifiables of these fans are here specifically for this women's series or this women's race or this women's sport. But equally, I think women's sports still at the point where we do need to uh, piggyback, I suppose, off, okay, not, not the men's sport in F1, but the, the bigger sport, typically the male arm of the sport within cycling, for example, or rugby and have them together so that actually more people simply by virtue of being there anyway, will see the women. And that's how fan fandom is generated. That's how, you know, sports continue to grow. I always feel like, Laura, you're so prepared. Um, I honestly, I do. And I'm like, that was oh, my other I bit of want advice. Do your homework. I was going to say, I feel like I was expecting. <laughs> that was my other, thank you. Yes, do your homework. My God, I've got um, this, I don't know if you can see my little notebook here. I, I make like pages and pages of notes. I used to love doing I'm such a, a nerd but I love I love doing my homework at school <laughs> and I loved writing so that's that's crucial for me is just go in fully prepped you'll get yeah. found out quick if you're not and that's I think the worst thing you can do so for me yeah do your prep do it well know what you're talking about and don't listen to to the bullshit <laughs> no I'm gonna I'm gonna try and channel all that advice yeah moving forward no I'm doing a master's so I've got one year but oh, it's been wow. amazing yeah I'm and good. I'm trying to be humble and keep it simple but yeah no I've I think I've picked up on how prepared you are and I was even thinking now sort of in this podcast yeah you oh, really thank know you. what you're talking about thank you I try I think it's I just it's for my own peace of mind knowing that I'm coming into something knowing okay I've done I've done my stats I know what I'm talking about I know you know I've done my research we're all good um so I, I also quite love it which is so nerdy and geeky to say but I do it's my job it's cool. yeah I'm such a nerd um but good luck to you as well and no doubt I'll be seeing you somewhere in the world of motorsport fingers crossed fingers crossed oh, <laughs> 
Sean, have you got a question for Laura today? Uh, yeah, I, I know you do a lot of work with rugby. And for me, my two biggest favourite sports are Formula One and rugby. So to be able to chat to someone who works so Yay. closely in both is, is fascinating. I even saw on your website that you have a picture with Shane Horgan in the Aviva Stadium. It was only there the other day. I live two minutes down the road from it. Um, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm on that side of the pond, if you couldn't tell from the, 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 the different accent. Um so what I, what I wanted to ask is we've been touching a lot there about like women in motorsport and like the, the, the presence of other kind of female commentators and female presenters in Formula One. How would you reckon that compares to rugby? Obviously, like BT especially have like some Sarah Algin, who's fantastic and has been kind of leading the, the charge on, on, on um, presenting there for, for quite a while. But do you notice that maybe it's it's maybe not quite the same? Because when I watch, it still seems rugby, especially compared to Formula One, for example, obviously Sky have such a, a breadth of really talented and excellent female presenters. Would I be right in saying that maybe rugby hasn't caught up yet? Or would you maybe see it a bit differently from actually having the experience of being there and doing your first hand? No, I think I think so that you've got Sarah. Certainly she's amazing. She's just so lovely to work with as well. She I feel like her um, her reporter interviews post-match. I always watch them and think, yeah, she's got it. She just knows how to work a player who's either jubilant or devastated. And they're they're a joy to watch. Um, You've got Gabby Logan. You've got Jill Douglas as well, both of whom obviously report for. Um, well, present typically for the BBC, for the Six Nations, but I know both are now doing the series, um, the Autumn Nation series on Mm. Prime as well. And actually for the Autumn Nation series, all five of the reporters are women. And then the you have Jill um, and you have Gabby who are both presenting too. Um, and then you have Ross Harris and Mark Dudden-Smith who are also the presenters. So actually there's a very good balance, I feel, in, um, in the rugby. And I'm seeing more and more women coming through into those reporter roles. Those, and there's certainly also at the moment a real push, and I've done it a couple of times, stadium announcing as well. So typically when you're in a stadium, you hear a man's voice saying, please welcome England, blah, blah, blah. Uh, they are now trying really to push for that to be a female voice wherever possible as well, um, which I think is a really good thing. You have got Lee McKenzie as well, who also is Formula One and, and rugby. She is presenting the um, the island matches on Channel 4. So I do feel there is, there is a good split within rugby um, and... Uh, yeah, I, I actually would disagree. <laughs> For me, That's I think um, I think <laughs> no, I think I think there are there are really good women coming through, and, and certainly from in, inside. I'm I, whenever I look around, I I do see women there. I think female pundits mm-hmm. could perhaps be used more uh, perhaps across the, the games but that's also happening now as well and Prime have done a really good job with this recent international series of, of bringing more and more female talent whether it's reporter, presenter or pundit in so there is a really good balance. Um, I, I must watch more just British broadcasts then because the Irish broadcasts certainly aren't maybe as, as with it as uh, the, the British sense to me yeah, okay. um, but no uh, from the pundit side of it I think you're right there, there's more coming through uh, which is great to see obviously like with football and stuff like that you've got Alex Scott who's been on Sky for a while now and so which I think she's been touted to take over from Jeff which is great um, so that, that's good to see I'm, I'm glad that, to hear from your point of view that you you do actually disagree with what, what I'm maybe seeing um, <laughs> and that it is maybe becoming a little bit more equal and maybe um, 
from 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 the inside from what you see that that's that's very very good to hear i think um and cara made the point as well though um screen time might be perhaps where you're looking mm-hmm. at it from so i'm seeing it from well i'm there i'm reporting but for example if you're reporting you're not typically envisioned and certainly post-covid we're not envisioned because actually man of the match we used to cozy right in um you know two shot well, yeah, a two shot into a single on the player. And now actually we're behind camera because we are still keeping our distance. So there's an element there of actually, yes, while you're hearing a female voice, representation and visibility mm-hmm. may still be something to work on. But no, I found, again, rugby to be um, to be pretty welcoming um, and pretty, you know, pretty equal, certainly striving toward Good that. Day. So. Well, let's move on to kind of the season as it is now. We always ask these questions to everyone, so it's 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 kind of like a, a stable um, for our uh, for our listeners to hear. Um, who are you expecting? You're actually you're in a great lo- uh, great kind of position to be in because we're very close to the end. Who are you expecting to win the season? If you had five pounds to put on with a bookmaker, who would you put your five pounds on? Max Verstappen <laughs> at this point. <laughs> with four races to go, I'm lucky, you're aren't I? I wasn't on. First thing, you have to get me on first next season. <laughs> and I have to make a wild prediction in 2022 and all the regulations have changed. It's been very difficult um, and people have been kind of um in and ah in uh, for several minutes. Uh, but it's I think after this race weekend, it's it's become more more easy to call. I think you're the only one with the fibre still on Lewis, James. <laughs> oh, I don't think it's in there, to be, to be fair. <laughs> um, Coops? Okay, another question we ask a lot of our uh, guests is if you were to give I can uh, advise to someone. So one of us come up to you and said, which racetrack should you go to? Uh, and not just for the race, but for everything around it, the everything else, the kind of atmosphere of the circuit, what you could see around about the track, where would you go to? And because you, I'm going to kind of expand on it a wee bit because you kind of report on other ones. Outside the motorsport, is there an event like a rugby event or a specific cycling event that you would advise us to try as well? Yeah, nice. Um, So Grand Prix that I've really enjoyed this year, I think, so Austria, I loved. And I I love being in the country and I saw the most incredible landscapes and I went for a hike and it was just great. But I appreciate that the racing was obviously massively skewed toward Red Bull. (laughs) Um, In that same sense, I actually flew in and out of the US um, horribly tight around the racing. So I didn't see one bit of Austin. I literally had jet lag for four days and then oh. left. So, um, I, but I mean, I've heard only incredible things about Austin. So for me, hundred percent, I would say, um, Austin, Texas, especially with the way the U S have taken F1 to their hearts, this whole like Netflix generation coupled with post COVID coupled with obviously the, net, um, the, how the season is progressing as well. Mm. That was just extraordinary. So the US is was pretty special. Similarly, though, I mean, track track wise, drivers always say Spa is one of their favorites, and I think that always serves up pretty amazing racing. This seat this year was actually pretty horrendous. Um, the rain made it miserable, but also so dangerous that I woke up on the Sunday morning and just thought, I think if they race some, you know, there's going to be an enormous accident and it could end really badly. I was actually very glad to see it completely called off. Um, the W series crash there was horrific. Mm-hmm. The Lando Norris crash in quali was disgusting. I just, I was, well, I was done. Sunday morning, I was like, I'm done. This race is 
just this race weekend is horrible. Um, and equally not been there. Um, so I don't know if this counts, but Suzuka is another one that everyone loves and everyone sort of, you know, pines after. So I think Japan would be one that is on my list, certainly to go to for next season. Um, oh, and Monaco. I didn't, I didn't go to Monaco this year. There's a lot there, isn't there? Sorry. Um, <laughs> And in terms of a, um, so I have been very lucky to be kind of VIP slash in the camera um, TV compound at the end of the Tour de France in Paris. And I mean, that's pretty special. That's kind of, yeah, bucket list stuff for me, certainly as a cycling fan. Mm. That's pretty cool. Equally, I'd say a mountain stage of a race as well be it a grand tour or even one of the, the sort of shorter races leading up to the grand tours. A mountain stage is so much fun. And because obviously they're climbing a hell of a lot slower than they would be sprinting on the Champs-Élysées, you'll see a lot more of the action as well. Um, and the atmosphere is insane. People are there camping for sort of like a day before drinking. I mean, it's nuts, completely nuts. Um, so that's always a lot of fun. For me, I would also, in terms of like events that I'd love to cover, I think an Olympic Games is for me on the bucket list. Um, and then I was very lucky this year that I did actually cover the last week of the Tour de France for Eurosport in the studio um, in Bath. So I wasn't in France itself, but I was in the studio and that was kind of, again, just this dream come true. And I sat there sort of 10 seconds before we were going live and I just thought, oh my God, how have I managed this? You know, just amazing stuff. So yeah, I think that, I hope that answers your question. Oh, Good yeah, question sure. though. Absolutely does. Um, have we got any question? Any more questions from the other two uh, before I wrap it up? Who, who's your favourite rugby team and Formula One team? Just to throw it in there. <laughs> I remain very impartial, but um, I don't actually have a favourite Formula One team. Uh, genuinely, um, I I suppose if I was, I, I enjoy interviewing um, McLaren. I will say that. But I, but I don't, I'm not a fan of any team. I'm entirely impartial. <laughs> um, and rugby, I mean, you know, I'm English. I fell in love with Johnny Wilkinson when I was 11. Mm-hmm. I fell in love with England rugby. I would, it would be remiss of me not to say, of course I am therefore an England fan uh, when I'm not working. Um, and equally where I am here, we're very close to Premiership side Gloucester as well. So kind of like keep an eye on them too. Excellent. But obviously remaining entirely impartial. <laughs> well, I think we've probably exhausted our questions. Um, if you wanted to promote anything, now is your chance. Is there anything, where, where can our fans find you if they wanted to follow you on social medias or any kind of, uh, anywhere that they could find you, podcasts or whatever? That'd be very lovely if they wanted to follow me. It is at Laura C. Winter. Uh, like I said, I haven't done a podcast in a while, but it was Lessons Learned. Um, and you can find it at all good podcast sites. Um, and it's, yeah, interviewing various sports stars about the lessons they've learned in their careers. Excellent. Well, everyone head over, give uh, Laura Laura <laughs> a like and a follow. Um, well, all that's left for me to say is thank you very much for coming to speak to us then today, Laura. Um, it's been very interesting. I, I've really enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed your insight into the sport. Obviously, it, it's great to kind of hear fairly newbies uh, and their opinions on on coming into the sport and working in the sport um, in comparison to some of the other guests that we've had who have been established for, say, 30, 40 years. Um, it, it, it really does kind of show how the sport has moved and changed. It's certainly been very interesting for me to, to, to kind of listen to your answers to our questions too. So thank you very much. No, thanks so much for having me. It's been really fun. Thanks, Good. guys. Well, thank you very much. We'll, we'll speak to you again, uh, hopefully, in the future.
Yes, for sure. Absolutely. Thanks. Thank All you. Right. Thank you very much then, Bye. Laura. Bye-bye. 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 We have been the Everything F1 podcast. Uh, I'd like to say thank you to my team. Thanks, Coops, for coming to speak to us today. Thank you very much, Sean. And thank you very much, Cara. As always, you can find us on all of our social networks. We are at the handle at JoinEF1 on Facebook and Twitter, at the handle EverythingF1 underscore for Instagram. Uh, and, of course, you can subscribe to this podcast to get all your latest podcasts in your in your earlobes as soon as they drop. We'd also love it if you could give us a five-star review. If you do give us a five-star review, we will give you a shout-out on one of our future podcasts. So join us next week where we will be reviewing the Brazilian Grand Prix and previewing the Qatar Grand Prix with Mark Gallagher, uh, a guest that we've had on previously. He's got some great anecdotes, and I'm sure you'll all enjoy that uh, and what he's got to say. So thanks very much, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye. 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 Bye.